Welcome to Independent Americans. Welcome to episode 116. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Now, more than any other time, now is a time to stay vigilant, but also a time to celebrate. Uh, yesterday, we had a ceremony here at the bill signing. A large group of lawmakers yeah. came. We had the Medal of Honor ceremony yes. today. We're uh, back. The meeting with the Kennedy Center honors that we were told yeah. President First Lady had. I've seen handshakes, hugging, kissing. Yes. Is the White House open again? Can you talk about some of the considerations that went into um, these events over the past couple of days? And is this the norm, the new norm, the yes. new, new norm going forward? I can confirm we are a warm and fuzzy crew, and we like to hug around here. Um, but we were waiting for that to be allowed by uh, CDC guidelines, which we certainly abide by. So uh, we are, as many organizations and companies are, working to implement uh, these guidelines here at the White House. And so what you've seen over the last couple of days is efforts to do uh, exactly that. And that includes uh, welcoming back and having a full uh, briefing room very soon. Uh, it includes uh, having more events with more people uh, and certainly uh, continuing to open the White House up, uh, the People's House up to the American public. We're back. The White House is back. Packed sports arenas are back. Concerts are back. Restaurants are back. And Red Lobster is back. Yeah, that great American institution, Red Lobster, with its kind of sad lobster tank, surprisingly dark dining rooms, massive frozen cocktails, delicious coconut shrimp, and surprisingly decent filet mignon. Yes. I can attest after a celebration lunch yesterday with my son and nephew that Red Lobster is back. America is back. The lobsters in those tanks at Red Lobster Nationwide are still not free. But America is. America is free again. Now, our official celebration of our independence from the virus won't be till July 4th. That will still be our national official VC day, our victory over the coronavirus day. But the unofficial celebration has already started. From coast to coast, Americans are feeling happy, optimistic, jubilant, and maybe, more than anything else, free. Yes, freedom. Freedom, people. Don't it taste good? It's even more delicious than a Tuesday lunch at Red Lobster. America is back. Our summer of freedom is here. And the barbecues, the drinking, the family reunions, the weddings, the graduations, the vacations, and various forms of shenanigans I should not speak of are now rocking all across America. The United States is feeling pretty free right about now. Free enough to drop the mask, shake some hands, and get out in the world again. And that includes me. Beyond Red Lobster, I promise. But what does freedom really mean? Do we have a new appreciation for freedom now? And is Memorial Day 2021 the perfect time to reflect on our freedom? I think so. So before we celebrate, and before you head out 
into that brave new world. I'm bringing back one of our most popular guests ever, one of the finest authors of our time. Sebastian Younger is back, and he has a powerful, important, must-read new book, appropriately named Freedom. If you don't know or you weren't around before, Sebastian Younger is one of the most important authors, thinkers, and public intellectuals in America, and one of the most interesting guys you'll ever hear speak. He's also a true badass, an adventurer, in the spirit of Ernest Hemingway. Sebastian joined us back in episode 100, and he's back now, four months later, to talk candidly about his highly anticipated and sure-to-be best-selling new book, Freedom. Sebastian's also the number one best-selling author of The Perfect Storm, Fire, A Death in Belmont, War, and Tribe. He's also the visionary filmmaker behind Restrepo, Korengal, The Last Patrol, and Which Way is the Frontline from Here. He's also the founder of Risk, Reporters Instructed in Saving Colleagues, a nonprofit dedicating to promoting the safety of freelance journalists working in conflict zones. And his next best-selling book is Here. Throughout history, humans have been driven by the quest for two cherished ideals, community and freedom. The two don't coexist easily. We value individuality and self-reliance, yet we're utterly dependent on community for our most basic needs. In this intricately crafted and thought-provoking new book, Sebastian examines the tension that lies at the heart of what it means to be human and what it means to be free. For about a year, Sebastian and three friends, one a conflict photographer and two veterans of the war in Afghanistan, walked the railroad lines of the East Coast. It was a demanding experiment in personal autonomy, but also interdependence. They dodged railroad cops, they slept under bridges, they cooked over fires, they drank from creeks and rivers, and the four guys created a unique reliance on each other. And in Freedom, Sebastian weaves this personal account of his journey with primatology and boxing strategy, the history of labor strikes and Apache raiders, the role of women in the resistance movement, and the brutal reality of life on the Pennsylvania frontier. It's got exquisite, razor-sharp prose, and is a powerful examination of the primary desire that defines us. I think it's a love letter to the land of America. It's a history lesson on our founding and an exploration of our DNA as a nation. It's a summary of Native American fortitude, exceptionalism, and history. And it's the best exploration of walking, running, marching, humping I've ever read or heard. Freedom's a definition of toughness, and it's the perfect book for this time. As America reflects on our struggle and prepares to re-experience and redefine our freedom after the pandemic? This is the book. It's some pretty damn fine writing. I think it should be mandatory reading for all Americans, and it's the perfect Father's Day gift. Sebastian's been in the toughest war zones all over the world. 
and he's told the stories about what happens in war and what happens after. He's a defender of our democracy, a keeper of our flame, a conscience for America. And I'm honored to call him an old friend. And he joins me for another real, smart, extended conversation that'll leave you informed and inspired. I also pressed him to share the pieces of the book he left out. He tells me about the time he almost died. He talks about what he's looking forward to this summer. And of course, as with all returning guests, he chooses pancakes or waffles. It's another amazing conversation to inspire and to help you stay vigilant all summer long. Because eternal vigilance is the price of our freedom, even as the summer begins. And Independent Americans has got a summer barbecue of light to contrast all the stinky heat of those other political pods. And we're joining your summer cookout with a special delivery of the Righteous Media Five Eyes. Independence, integrity, information, inspiration, and impact. It's a conversation to guide your summer, to guide your exploration, to guide your independence, to guide your freedom, and to guide your vigilance. Because eternal vigilance is the price of freedom. And Sebastian Younger is here to talk about his masterpiece of an examination of that freedom. And hope is still the oxygen of democracy. And Sebastian will give you hope again. And some damn amazing stories. And the must-read book of 2021. And plenty you can't read in the book. Whether you're a Democrat, a Republican, or one of tens of millions of independents like me, Independent Americans is spreading across America faster than that feeling of freedom and euphoria around the reopening of Red Lobster, Buffalo Wild Wings, Waffle House, Ruby Tuesdays, and Sizzler combined. So before you head out this summer to celebrate your freedom and independence from the virus, we've got a conversation about what it really means to be free, what it means to have an adventure, and how we can and should all appreciate life and freedom much more after losing so much of both over the last year. Freedom isn't free. There's no more powerful reminder than Memorial Day, except maybe the last year of lockdowns, masks, hand-washing, sick, and dying friends. Welcome to the end of the pandemic. Welcome to the summer of 2021. Welcome to the summer of the great American comeback. Welcome to the summer of freedom. Welcome to Independent Americans, episode 116. Ladies and gentlemen, independent Americans around the country, around the world, around the universe, happy fucking summer. Summer is finally here. Uh, We got a lot to celebrate. We got a lot to process. We got a lot to think about. Uh, And Memorial Day is going to formally kick off summer, but it's been summer here at Righteous Media for a couple weeks now, as you know. And I can think of no better way to uh, end spring 
turn a page on the pandemic, start summer and think about the future, then bringing back one of our most popular guests ever in 116 episodes. The great and powerful Sebastian Younger is back on Independent Americans. Welcome back, my friend. Thank you so much. I'm thrilled to be here. Uh, you were here uh, February 6th, I think. It was uh, the last episode of Angry Americans, and then we shifted. Uh, you and I have now coordinated our wardrobes, so if people are watching on video, we have an almost identical, <laughs> I think it's a gunmetal gray shirt, T-shirt. Yeah. We didn't plan this. No, we I didn't. Felt like, I felt like coming into it, I was like, gunmetal gray is the right color for Sebastian. <laughs> <laughs> and I got my hat on because I'm in full summer mode and I'm going to get outside all weekend with the family. But you are, uh, it looks like you're back in New York, but I, I want to reconnect with you and ask you, where are you and uh, how are you? Uh, I'm in my, uh, in my apartment with, uh, uh, with my family in the Lower East Side of Manhattan. And the book, Freedom, it, we're going to get deep into it. I fucking love it. I'm really excited to talk to you about it. I think it's the book for this time. And I'm going to talk a lot about why. Um, but the book dropped, what, eight days ago. And you've been everywhere. You've been on Joe Rogan. You, you know, you're doing tons of press. How does it feel to finally have this book out there and to be and to be doing this again? Oh, it's thrilling. Uh, my last book, Tribe, uh, was out five years ago, I think. So that's, you know, it's been a while. Um, since then, I've had uh, two children, a four-year-old and a one-and-a-half-year-old. So uh, the fact that there isn't a physical, like, around-the-country 20-city book tour is actually pretty good. I mean, I sort of miss being in, you know, in bookstores and whatever and actually meeting people, but I definitely miss that. But I think it would have been very, very hard on the whole family had I been gone for three weeks. So you, I went back and looked at it. Um, you and I have done a lot of stuff around Memorial Day over the last decade or so. And on May 19th, 2010, I interviewed you on C-SPAN uh, for like an hour long book event. I think it was in Los Angeles. I don't know where it was, but you and I were in a room doing a C-SPAN event. That feels like a hundred years ago. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. And then after my buddy Tim died, I, I think I flew out to California and, and did something with you guys. If I'm remembering correctly, I sort of remember you remember your face in there, those sort of weird weeks that followed his death. Yeah, I don't think I told this the first time we talked, but um, we were scheduled to honor you and Tim in Los Angeles. Right. And uh, I was running IAVA at the time. And you guys were in Libya and we were getting updates, right? It was right. like, okay. And we, were, we weren't sure you're were going to make it, right? We were going to honor both of you. And we were on the plane out to Los Angeles. And I remember getting a note from your PR people. I had like five, six of my crew around us on our way to Los Angeles for this big event. And I was like, oh shit, they're not going to be able to make it. I was just expecting you guys were going to get tied up because the violence was there, but it was on the plane that we learned that, that Tim was killed. Yeah. And, yeah. and then we landed in L.A. Um, and I thought you were going to back. I was like, God, you got so much going on. You guys aren't going to do this. But you said, I want to press on. I want to do it. And I, I'm thinking about your book. But before we get to that, I remember a couple of flashes of that thing. And it must have been an incredibly uh, difficult and, and, and wild time for you. But I remember us sitting around a fire drinking. Yeah. Right. Yeah, we were, in, we were right. in the back of a hotel. It was you, me, a bunch of vets, a couple people from your team. And it, it made me think of this book because it was this moment where we had this fire and just yeah. us and pain. Yeah, that's right. And I, I, uh, 
I, I actually wasn't in Libya with Tim at the last minute. I couldn't go. So I was actually in New York and it was really interesting because even though I was 6,000 miles away, because I was supposed to have been there and because he and I were in a lot of combat together and because he died in combat, I managed to make it completely my fault. And I was doing something that I saw soldiers do that I never understood. Like, what are you talking about? It's not your fault. He took a bullet to the forehead at the top 300 meters away at the top of a hill. How could that be your fault? I never got it until I watched myself do that with Tim. And it actually was quite a, quite a struggle uh, to climb out of that. Uh, and, you know, if he died in a car accident, I wouldn't have felt that way. And if he and I hadn't been in combat together, I wouldn't have felt that way. It's that weird, it's that particular combination that's, that's devastating. Mm. And I, I remember, um, I don't know if I said it to you or I said it to maybe one of the folks on your team. I said, actually, this is probably a good place for you to be. Because if you were in New York City on the Lower East Side or wherever you were walking around, yeah. you know, you probably didn't have too many people who could relate. But I remember yeah. around that circle, all yeah. of us had lost close friends, all yeah. of us who had been through that. And I felt like we could we could be there in some way to give you some kind of emotional connection or understanding that maybe nobody else could. But we were also it was juxtaposed with I think we were in a hotel in Beverly Hills. Yeah. 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 So, right. right. So like we're sitting around a fire talking about combat and death and like right across the way, there's like fancy people having drinks and partying yeah. and couldn't be any further away from the combat that was happening there yeah. and around the world. Right. Yeah. 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 That's right. That's right. So is that Sebastian, is that kind of the last, you know, 20 years of your life, like going into these intense places and then coming back to a country that kind of lives life uninterrupted when you and I talked in 2010, it was about Afghanistan. You know, tribe has been really important. Freedom now, I think, is a real important exploration of many things, but but also fighting and yeah. and and a reckoning of our history and who we are. But you know, you were walking on train tracks for 400 miles, right, in total isolation. And then afterward, and we'll get into the book. Like afterward, did you go back to Lower East Side? Where'd you go afterward? Well, you know, but I I stopped war reporting after. Um, after I, Tim and I finished up in the Korangal Valley in Eastern Afghanistan in 08. And, you know, I was going to go back, I was going to go back into it. I was going to go to Libya with Tim at the last minute I couldn't. And then after Tim got killed, I was completely out. And, you know, mostly um, uh, I, I saw what getting killed does to everyone you love. Like, I, because I watched it happen to everyone that was in Tim's life. And I just thought, you know, I don't want to do that to everybody. I mean, it felt, all of a sudden war reporting looks selfish rather than noble and uh, selfish rather than, you know, daring or something. And, and, and so I, I completely stopped and, um, but the, you know, the railroad lines were a kind of interesting substitute because of course there is something going on in combat or even just in travel in rough countries, you know, you don't even have to be in combat, but just, you know, the developing world is a, is a pretty intense place. And there's something very good and and meaningful in 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 that, and there was something about the railroad lines, which are you know you know these swaths of no man's land that crisscross America, um, and uh, you know there's no there's really no police presence unless they're act actively looking for you, which happened to us once. Uh, you can sleep, you know, there's you can sleep under bridges and abandoned buildings, and there's all kinds of marginal characters out there. And, and, you know, we were cooking dinner over fires and getting our water out of creeks. And it's not really the wilderness. It's not quite the ghetto. It's not quite, you know, it's sort of a little bit of everything. And uh, there definitely is our sort of like 
tactical issues of not being seen by the authorities and all that because it's completely illegal. And there was something about that and doing that with three other guys that was just uh, completely addictive. Like, I loved it out there and it sucked out there. I mean, physically speaking, it sucked, right? It was hard. We were carrying 70 pounds. Uh, we froze in the winter. We boiled in the summer, you know, I mean, on and on. But my God, did I love it. So let me let me let me summarize this for folks. Right. So you, you write a book. It's called Freedom. It's out eight days ago. Everyone should get it. Um, and this is what I want you to know. I finished it last night. I was listening to it and reading it at the same time. And as soon as I finished it, I started buying it for people. And I thought about who I knew and I started going through like all these people, different people in my life who some of them, most of them, I sent the audio version and I said, listen to this because I know you're running around, you're busy. And I really wanted to make sure they got it. Uh, But the book is short too. It's only 176 pages. But the last time I did that was John Lewis's graphic novel, March, which I felt like was, was a gateway into so many things for so many people. And especially maybe a book for people who don't read books. Right. And, and uh, Chuck Palahniuk wrote that once. And, and I was lucky enough to have him review my book. And, and he said something like, I write books for people who don't read books. And I tried to get people into my book. And I feel like freedom is bigger than a book in the same way tribe was bigger than a book. And I wrote some notes that I want to share with you that I said, you, you, it's about your 400 mile journey with a couple other guys on the train tracks through America but it's about much more. And you break it up into three sections into run, fight, and think, all of which could be their own books and maybe will be or Netflix specials or films or something else. But the top line that I took away from it was, it was a love letter to the land of America. It was a history lesson on our founding, but also on our DNA as a nation in all its complexity. It was one of the best summaries I heard of, of, uh, of Native American fortitude, history, exceptionalism. And maybe this is one part that anybody's ever in the military, the best exploration of walking, running, munching, marching, and humping I've ever read or heard. Like the misery of walking with huge amounts of weight on your back. Any infantry person needs to read this and understand this, but there's a definition of toughness. It's a perfect Father's Day gift. I'm going to give you the whole sales pitch. (laughs) Some damn fine writing, Um, And I said, mandatory reading, a new Bible, especially for infantrymen worldwide. But I think it's a perfect book for this time because America is reflecting on our struggle and we prepare to kind of re-experience and redefine freedom after the pandemic as we get to this Independence Day on July 4th. So this is a book of the moment and I hope it resonates in that way. It did with me and I could go much deeper in each of the sections, but I wanted to say that to you. And I wanted people to hear that and understand this is much more than a book. But you've been talking about this for a week. You're going to talk about it for weeks. Um, What do you want to say about the book that maybe you don't get to say anywhere else? Yeah. Well, thank you for all that. First of all, that's exactly the kind of reaction, reader reaction. I was as I was writing the book that I was kind of fantasizing somebody might have, you know, (laughs) it's like that it would affect people like that. Um, So, first of all, you know, I, I, I there are there are. A lot of people in the military or, uh, or former service that that read my work, and you know, as you said, walking with a heavy weight is its own particular. Uh, it's its own particular task. Its own particular kind of work. It's very hard work. But what's interesting about humans is that the things that are the hardest can also sometimes be kind of ecstatic. 
right? You could, you could hit, uh, I don't know what it is, like a stride, a state of mind, uh, whatever it is that we're all of a sudden, as I say in the book, stopping looks harder than keeping going, right? That's how you know you're in the groove. It's like, no, no, it's just going to be easier to keep walking. Stopping looks like it's going to suck. Like that looks tiring. I'm going to keep rolling because I am buoyed up by my brothers around me and by some by some hand that has, you know, you know, some force that is making me feel superhuman. And, you know, I think the, um, the I think we're all looking, whatever our endeavor, uh, walking, writing, music, combat, ballet, whatever it is, I think we're all looking for that feeling of, of wow, I, I'm, something has to be helping me here because I'm feeling things and doing things. I'm expressing myself in ways I didn't know I, I, were, were available to me. It's extraordinary. And so, you know, we had that along with a lot of really shitty times. We, you know, we would, we would hit that feeling. And, you know, I, you know, I think, I guess what I would say to answer your question is, I mean, you have a, you have a, uh, you have an audience that is both thoughtful, contemplative, and a lot of service members, former service who have done a lot of hard work, like physically hard, difficult things. And that those things don't come together that often in, in a person, right? And so I think I would like to say that for a lot of human history, you know, you can have a conversation about democracy and stuff like that. It's all important, but it's for a lot of human history, humans maintained their freedom from a, a dominant power by, by working, by running, by fighting. Like they, I mean, it's a very physical. It's a freedom is a very, very physical thing until you get into really sort of modern society and, and, and it's a different kind of conversation. But I just don't I want people to to understand that the the the, the times they've carried 80, 100 pounds over a mountain ridge in the heat, like they're doing exactly what people have done for thousands of years to make sure that they were autonomous and self-defining. Mm. And you, uh, you know, I almost call it, I want to call it like a love letter to hard work or, and, and there's a bit of like a love letter to suffering. So anyone who's ever been through anything hard, I think will connect with this book in a powerful way, but there is a bliss to working so hard that you go to a, a Zen mode, right? Like you yeah. talked about that. I remember being an infantryman training overseas, you know, walking for so long that you think you're asleep. And your mind goes to another place and it's, it's an out of body experience where you're almost not controlling your feet and your feet are moving. You talk, you break down cadence in a way that's really beautiful. And, and you talk about how, you know, the weight on your back and, and how it really, the mind of it, which is something I didn't really know until I was pushed beyond my limits in the military. I kind of knew it in sports, right. but in the military, when you know, you must, you know, in training, you know, if you don't push beyond that level, you're letting down your buddies or you don't go away for the weekend or you're a piece of shit. Right. But then later on, your life depends on it. And, right. and to go beyond those limits and the way you explained it was really profound. I mean, I've heard people comparing now, comparing you now to Hemingway and, and saying that, you know, I felt like this is an on the road almost for a new generation. This is going to inspire Thousands of people are going to be on the train tracks now, <laughs> right? Right. But 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 also the exploration of fighting, and and, when I, and all the kinds of fight, fighting for freedom, fighting for independence, and examination of indigenous people, the role of women in combat. You talk about Muhammad Ali. Um, I wanted to 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 pull that piece out because I feel like so many people feel like they've been fighting for the last year, right? 
And, and, and you talk about how unfree we really are in so many ways. Right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we're politically very free, but we, we live in a society where most of our survival tasks for most people have been outsourced to specialists. So we're dependent on a supply chain. We're dependent on a system that we then work very hard inside of, but we're working hard so we have money to buy the things we need to survive. And so we, we have a kind of, I mean, dependency is not autonomy, right? They're different things. And we have chosen to be extremely productive as a society. I mean, we've walked on the damn moon, right? Like we've done extraordinary things, extremely productive, but also extremely dependent on the society compared to a sort of smaller scale hunter-gatherer type economy, which is where, of course, our, our human origins lie. And um, so I think it's very important to make the distinction between different kinds of freedom. You know, we have, I mean, freedom's a misused word. And often when people talk about, you know, don't take away my freedom within the society, what they're really saying is don't take away my rights, right? Right. Freedom, I mean, in its purest sense, freedom means that an enemy, an outside force cannot dominate you and dictate who you are or if you're going to live, right? That, in its original sense, freedom meant that that wasn't going to happen to you, that you're able to defend yourself. The, the origin of the word freedom is, is middle, middle German, Bridom, which means beloved, which means that everyone that's in your clan, in your tribe, in your people, um, those people are free. You cannot enslave them or kill them. Everyone else in the world is eligible for that. And of course, you are with them. And so if you can't defend yourself, you're not going to be free. Within your own society, you're really talking about rights. And so my book is divided into run, fight, and think. Basically, the first thing people do is try to outrun a dominant society. And if they can't outrun them, you know, I have the Apache as an example. They were on the run for 300 years. And, you know, it took almost till 1900 for the American military to sort of like confine them and subdue them. Um, they try to outrun their, 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 their potential oppressor. And if they can't, they have to outfight them. And interestingly with humans in the, in the, at the individual level, but it also scales up nicely. The smaller person or the smaller group is able, often able to defeat a larger person or a larger group. That's not true with elk, right? Or grizzly bear or bison or mice or whatever size, Size is a predictor of outcome. With humans, that's not true. And that allows, you know, for example, the, the Montenegrins, a wild mountain tribe in the early 1600s, fought the Ottoman Empire. The Ottoman Empire came in to make the Montenegrins a vassal state. And the Montenegrins were outnumbered 12 to 1. And they were like, you know what? Maybe not. And this is a longer conversation. And the, the, the Montenegrins destroyed them three times, right? I mean, annihilated this vastly superior force. Um, and, if, and if a smaller force couldn't do that, there would be no freedom in the world. The world would be dominated by fascist megastates. And, and it's, thank God, it's not. And then finally, if you can't outfight them, if you're part of the society, and which is where we have a conversation about America, if you're part of a society, you're not going to overthrow the government, right? That's not what you're trying to do. You're, you're, you're standing up for your rights and basically you have to outthink them. And that like the labor movement a hundred years ago, you know, there were very uh, courageous, but and smart people who basically played chess against the big corporations and the American, the American government and forced them 
to come to terms with a basically, you know, a fair uh, with with fair laws for for labor, right? It was extraordinary. These are powerless people, and they did it. They they played chess and they won. Mm. There's so many pieces that the part about the Apache is amazing. Okay, the part about the the Montenegrins is amazing. I also grew up loving trains, and I feel like it's a history lesson on American railroads and on the technical components. And you know, when you get to the the fight part. You describe the creation of the American railroads like a war story. It feels like I'm reading Band of Brothers, right. but it's about the creation of the American railroad, which is maybe equally as important, if not more important. I think you make that case, you know, in, in there in some way about the importance of it. But there are these war stories that are amazing where you talk about like a grasshopper swarm that derailed a train, the murder rate in Laramie, the carnage of train accidents, and this term industrial carnage. Right. And then you go from the Montenegrins to chimps and maybe give the best explanation I've ever heard about how and why humans fight and right. and and how and why some win and some lose. So if you've ever been a fighter, you've ever been in a fight, you've ever watched a fight, you need to you need to read this. But then it's also happening as we have now gotten rid of Trump. We're pulling down in Afghanistan. When I got to the end of this section on fight. I literally was sitting in my kitchen, standing in my kitchen. I said, fucking A, Sebastian. I was like, fucking A. Like, I, I don't know. I just was like, yes. Like, you got this in a way that spoke to me in, in a way that I think is really eternal. Um, but what do you, what do you take? You've been in so many fights. You've seen so many fights. People feel like life is a fight. Um, I want to ask you now, because I and many others are feeling, frankly, depleted. Um, how do you keep doing it? How do you keep doing it? How, did you, how do you keep writing books? How do you keep fighting after loss? How do you keep creating these works? I told you when we were warming up, I feel almost like you're like Lady Gaga, like every new invent, every book is a reinvention of this amazing. And I mean that, yeah. you know, flatteringly, you just recreate yourself with these big things. But how do you keep doing it? You know, I, I'm, um, you know what I was talking about before about the sort of intoxication of walking, right? That like you can hit a kind of ecstatic moment where some force is flowing through you and it doesn't even feel like you're, you're walking, you're just floating, you know? And there's a, a intellectual version, version of that. There's a thought version of that where when I'm, uh, when I'm writing, when I'm, when I'm writing something good, um, and everything I write that's not good, I throw out. So basically what you're getting at the end in my book is everything around that topic that I decided was good rather than not good. So, so when I'm writing something, but then there's these paragraphs that I'm like, wow, this is actually really good. Like, this is, wow, did I just write that? Like that, like, oh, I'm tapped in. Like I, and what's, in, what's interesting about it is it doesn't feel like it came out of me, right? Mm. It feels like I was I was sort of delivered something from on, from on high, and I'm an atheist. So when I say that, I don't mean you know God in quotes, right? I just mean a higher higher power, a deeper wisdom, a, a, a bigger a bigger mind. I don't know what it, with the energy of the universe, whatever it is. I, I hate mysticisms, and I'm embarrassed to be using words like this. But I'm trying to describe a subjective feeling. It flows through you, and. I'm lucky to be there to sort of like help it hit the page. And when I, mm. that paragraph's not my paragraph. 
right? I mean, I know I wrote it, but it feels like I was channeling something and I was lucky to have been chosen for the channeling. And mm. so I will sometimes read things and think, Mike, wow, like I just learned something in this paragraph, like it, because it, it came from elsewhere. And when you're doing that, there's no fatigue, there's no depletion. You're, you're doing God's work. And again, I'm an atheist. So when I say that, I mean it, you know, metaphorically, but you're doing God's work and when you're doing God's work, fatigued. I mean, I, I, there's no such thing, right? It's not, mm. I mean, eventually your body will just fail you, but there's no, your, your, your mind doesn't even know you're working, right? Mm. Cause it's fully in. And that's one of the beautiful things of athletics, of music, you know, of writing of, of, of life basically is when you, the, you disappears, the ego disappears and you're in service of something else. I mean, that's a totally intoxicating experience. It's greatness. I'm going to tell you what, I'm going to say it, and I have been accused at times of being too flattering of some of my guests, but I think it's so well-deserved here, and, and it needs to be heard. Like, you're crushing right now on some of the most important topics of our time. The, the work is going to last forever, but there's a point when, like, you, you have a very unique way of writing that I can relate to as a guy who has a lot of ideas happening at the same time. But the way you can go from, you know, authoritarian regimes and the history of, of the railroad uh, to, you know, talking about how your feet feel, like there's this movement back and forth through time and space that's very, very powerful. But I mean, I'm dog-earing the shit out of this, right? Like this book, I'm, nice. I'm showing the bike, the book to the video. And there are so many times where you talk about, um, you have these lines that are, that are, I don't know how else to say, they're kind of Sebastian lines, where you have a very <laughs> profound statement and you're just like, so that's how it is. And it's just like, it's kind of like a yeah, motherfucker, like line. It's like you, you, you discovered it and you say, and that's how it is without further explanation. So there's a lot of discipline in the brevity that I want to celebrate because I know how hard that is. And somebody told me when I was reluctant to write my book, I think it was Max Cleland. He said, write it because your stories are not your own. And right. he said, you know, right. you're carrying other people's stories. And that's what you've done miraculously here, Sebastian, is you've carried so many stories forward in a way that's really important. Um, but I had some specific questions that I don't yeah. think I got. You don't, you specifically don't name the other guys who you're with on this journey. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. I just and, say we. And why? And if you can, who are they? Um, yeah. So I did that because I didn't want us as individuals to be mistaken for the point of the book. Right. Mm -hmm. I didn't want the reader to think, oh, okay. These guys, Sebastian, Brendan O'Byrne, Guillermo, Dave Rolls, that I'm going to have to make these guys, you know, I didn't want the reader to think, okay, I'm going to have to make these guys important in my mind. I'm going to have to learn about them. This book is about them. Like, no, no, no. We're a vehicle so that you, the reader, can experience America the way we experienced it. And I thought if I just avoided naming us or identifying us, like we got shot at in Pennsylvania once, right? And um, I don't think it was trying to hit us, but bullets were going over our head, heads. And, you know, it had predict we'd all been in combat. So it had pred predictable reaction, right? And um, the way I write it in the book is, you know, the only weapon we had other than our wonderful dog, Daisy, was a machete that we used for cutting up firewood and stuff. And uh, one, I, in the book, I say one of us grabbed the machete and tried to circle around through the woods to come up behind the shooter and kept, in case he kept shooting. Right. Um, and I wrote it like that because who did that is not important. 
right? Uh, and I just named the guys who were who were there. Two, uh, two of them were out at Restrepo, um, and this outpost, American outpost I was at in 0708. And one of them, Guillermo, was a Spanish photographer who, you know, my dad grew up in Spain. I love Spain. And Guillermo is an amazing guy. And, but I got to know him because he was holding Tim's hand when Tim died. I mean, Tim bled out in the back of a pickup truck in Libya, a rebel pickup truck, and Guillermo was in the truck with him. Wow. Uh, and along with a photographer named Chris Hondros, who was essentially dead. And, uh, and so I became, you know, Guillermo became my brother, you know, like he, I got, I lost him and got Guillermo. And so that was, mm. that was who was on the trip. Mm. Um, thank you for sharing that. Um, I have, a, I had a list of very specific questions because yeah, uh, go for know, it. I, yeah. I, I, I devoured this book. And my next question was, what's the name of the dog? And you said it's Daisy. Cause I don't Daisy. think you named the dog in the book either. Do you? No, I, I don't think, uh, <laughs> I don't think I do. I'm not sure. That's a good question. But I'm, I, I don't was, recall. I, that, and then there, there was another specific question that I want that, that, uh, that I wanted to know, which is you keep saying we stopped, we'd have a drink, we'd have a smoke. What were you smoking? Were you smoking a cigarette? I, I assume. And if you yeah. were, what yeah, brand? I, uh, I wanted to envision that. <laughs> I, I've had an off and on relationship with smoking since I was about 35. I never, never even tried a cigarette till I was 35. You know, I was a big athlete in high school and college. And all, my whole life I have been. So the idea of smoking was completely alien to me. Like it never even crossed my mind. Right. When you, when people typically start smoking in their teens or twenties and uh, at 35, I tried a cigarette. I was like, damn, there's something there like that. Mm -hmm. That's not all bad. Like, so anyway, um, it's, it, it's a, it's a, uh, occasional, occasional thing that I do, but, it, but, uh, it was bugler. It was, um, uh, it's just the cheapest sort of pouch tobacco rolled up in, in paper. Uh, See, it, I love this. I, I, cause I actually, I've, I've, I've gone through, uh, I, I was a kid and I smoked and when I was in the army, I smoked and the guys in my platoon used to say they could tell how dangerous something upcoming was by how many cigarettes I smoked. Yeah. And then there've been times in my life where there's a ritual to it. And I think it was my Iraqi friend, um, Isam, who said something like, you know, cigarettes make things go faster. He said like time life, it makes things go by, but there's a, something about, like if you're a writer and you've never smoked a cigarette, you give it a shot. It, it, yeah. it feels like it needs to be almost a part of a ritual. But it, these little pieces of the dog, um, the 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 when you talk about making tortillas and and the cigarettes, these little pieces that are very artfully crafted, but also a bit vague intentionally, right. Um, right. are are really really powerful. And now you did the walk. 400 miles over a couple periods of time, or was it one big shot? It was over the course of a year. Uh, we would do 50 or hundred miles at a time. So it was like five trips or something like that. Uh, and so we had, we left from Washington DC. We were going to walk to New York and then we got to Philly and we were like, maybe we'll go West. I'm, we're tired of the East coast. Let's go West. Maybe we'll go, go to Pittsburgh. So we turned West at that point. It was midwinter. It was very, very cold. Um, and, uh, you know, we just, most of the walk in Pennsylvania was along the Juniata river, uh, which is the only river in Pennsylvania that trends east west. And so we were basically walking a route. I mean, the, 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 the Indian trails would follow the rivers through the mountains because it's easier to go through a river gap than to go around or over a mountain. The settlers roads would follow the Indian trails 
And then the railroads came in and followed the settlers' roads. So we were walking this sort of ancient passageway westwards through Pennsylvania. And a lot of the settlers in the 1700s, you know, the Juniata was the, the sort of gateway to, um, you know, what they called Indian territory, where, you know, things got pretty real pretty quickly for them. And uh, very, very dangerous. Uh, it, was, it was free, but it was dangerous. And uh, so that was, that was where we, the, the, the amazing country that we were walking through. Um, and this was before Trump was elected. Uh, what yeah. year was it? So yeah, it was before yeah. Trump. It was before pandemic. And um, but you wrote it over the course of the last few years, I imagine, right? So that's kind of. I wrote it last summer in about three months. Uh, I wrote it very quickly. So, d- what do you think about? I want to use this to transition into where we are. It, it's such a dissection of America. Um, in a way that is, I think, timeless. But much ha- much is changing. Much much has changed. But this idea of freedom is maybe under the the microscope in America in a way it hasn't been in our lifetime. Um, what do you think has? What did you learn about America then and through this book that you think is is critical now? After the insurrection, I talked to you. I think two weeks after the insurrection, last yeah. time we talked, um, you know, we're still having this. This existential crisis as a nation about uh, you know domestic terrorism and what happens next and right. Trump is gone but not gone the pandemic is over sort of right? mostly what, how does this how did that journey uh, help you understand where we are now Yeah well let's see uh, it's a very complex country and it's clearly uh, essentially segregated. I mean, there are black communities and white communities. Um, and if you walk through everything, you, you, it's unavoidable. Noticing that is sort of unavoidable. And sometimes those communities are only, a, you know, a few blocks by a few, few blocks in, you know, West Philly or something. And then and sometimes they're huge areas. I mean, Pennsylvania, the part that we walk through is like 99.9% white. I mean, it's completely white. And uh, um and that you know they and and pretty conservative right and i'm a democrat um i didn't vote for trump i think probably 99.8% of that area voted for trump you know not literally but it was overwhelmingly you know a a, a certain kind of white political culture right so this but this is what i would say you know we walk through the ghettos of baltimore we walk through dangerous areas we walk through re- wealthy suburbs like whatever Everyone is nice, like every kind of, not every individual, but every group of people is nice, right? Like the people that all voted for the guy, the the president that I couldn't stand, great people, right? The ghettos of Baltimore where it just looks like a gunfire is about to break out, watch your back, blah, blah, blah. The nicest people in the world. Oh my God, like the poor of the town, the nice of the people, basically. People will come up to you like, hey, you guys need water. Does your dog need water? You you know, like, can we do anything for you? I mean, and these are in neighborhoods that look like, you know, a war has been fought in them, right? And, um, and even, you know, we were, once in a while, we were on surface roads. And if we were on a surface, because you, you know, there's areas of the train tracks that are so confined that if you're on them, they're so monitored that if you're on them, you'll get arrested. You know, it was already hard to stay away from the cops. There's certain areas that you just like, if you go down, you know, if you walk through that area, the cops are going to see you. You're right through a train yard or whatever. So we're on surface roads. And, you know, if we walk through an affluent suburb on surface roads, 
you know, someone would call the cops, right? They didn't do that in poor towns. It was in wealthy towns, the kind of town that I grew up in. Like that's where people get, you know, you call the cops on you. But nevertheless, if they weren't calling the cops on you, they were great people. They were really, really nice people, right? So, you know, I feel like where this country's at, we've got all of these divisions, all of these tribal identities. You know, I'm a Republican, I'm a Democrat, I'm black, I'm white, I'm, you know, whatever it is. And we think that those things reflect character, right? They think that somehow, you know, th th those words, those categories are a kind of shorthand for some inner virtue or inner sin, right? Inner wrongdoing, right? Oh, he's a Democrat. As if that some, somehow characterizes the entirety of the person's soul, right? And, or he's a Republican or he, whatever, like pick your word, right? It's complete nonsense, right? I mean, there are sociopaths out there that are not good people. And there are people who are anti-democratic, even in this democracy, in this country, they are anti-democratic. And some of those are probably nice people. We just can't mess around with them because they're dangerous people, right? But but mostly, I wish people would just stop um, attributing personal character traits on the basis of politics or religion or skin color, all that stuff. It's complete fucking nonsense. And it really has to stop because it's we're a crazy, weird conglomeration of a million things in this country. That's what makes it an amazing country. If we start attributing qualities to people because of stupid stuff like that, the country's not going to last. Mm. Yeah, I, I think this, there's a lot about this book that's also a warning um, about, about where we are and about where we've been and about what could come. But I, I'm glad you brought up that point, Sebastian, because I've, had, you know, I've lived with folks from overseas and I have a lot of friends who, who weren't born here. And uh, I, they often tell me that they think Americans are really nice, like almost annoyingly nice. Right. Like, yeah. and I've always said about New Yorkers, they're not friendly, but they're nice. They're not going to run across the street to go, good morning. How are you, Sebastian? Yeah. But if you say, Hey, where do I get a slice of pizza? Oh, let me tell you, I got five places and here's where you go. And, yeah. and there's an engagement about Americans that I think is sincere and unique. And you pull that out in a very important and thoughtful way. Your, your, your lens, your, your focus is so astute and powerful. I want to ask you to turn it on, our new president. He's passed his 100 days. He's a guy who connects with many of the areas that you talked about and kind of comes from parts of that, uh, that world that you walk through. Yeah. Anybody from Pennsylvania, you got to read this book because I've never heard Pennsylvania described in the way that Sebastian does. But, but Sebastian Biden, he's almost at 200 days now. What, what do you think of him and where he is right now and how he's done? You know, I, I it's interesting. I, I I feel like he's doing with his presidency what I was doing with us on our walk. He's making himself not the point of the story, right? Like it's not about him. It's hard to even, and I mean this as a compliment, unlike Trump, who was the center of the story, regardless of what the policies were, you know, I disagreed with most of them. Some of them like I could wrap my mind around, but basically it didn't matter. Like Trump was the point for himself. And he thought he should be the point for the country, right? Biden is some sort of the opposite. And sometimes I forget that Biden's president. I, like you just sort of, you know what I mean? I mean that in a good way. He was like, yeah. wow, he is just doing policy. And he's doing policy that seems to be, for the most part, um, policy that's popular with a majority of, of Americans and a significant portion of Republicans, right? So the infrastructure, the, the initiative, right? That's a broadly popular policy. The the um, 
Corona, uh, the Corona package, the relief package some months ago, those were broadly popular things, they, which is very problematic for the Republicans because they're, you know, opposed to something that, you know, 60 some 70 percent of Americans are actually good with. So that's a horrible political conundrum to be in. I don't know why they're allowing themselves to, to be sort of painted into a corner like that by themselves, right? That just seems bizarre. But so what he's doing is I think he's basically sort of trying to lead by disappearing and following what most of the nation, because we're sensible people, knows are sensible policies. Like it's like it's it's sort of miraculous after all the sort of ego politics of the last years. Uh, and I like Barack Obama, but you know, he was a big, he was a big personality in the government. You know what I mean? Like, and I, and I really liked him, but he, you know, Obama was part of the story for sure. Yeah. I, I, I think that's a really important way of looking at it. I think, you know, it, Biden's been, the way you describe Biden is kind of like a referee in a game. Like you don't, you want, don't want the referees to be there, but if you're talking about the ref, it's probably not going the right direction. <laughs> right. Um, and, and I think that that's an important part of, of what he's done. And you, you, the book is also a great exploration of leadership. And you talk about how leadership requires sacrifice, essentially, in a time when we're seeing people like Ted Cruz and others who seem to be all about themselves. And you're, you know, juxtaposing that with the Seminole tribe and Apache leaders and others um, that have woven it into their culture about sacrifice and, and unity. So let me ask you this. It's Memorial Day weekend kicks off summer. Um, you're one of the guys who's going to be all over the media. I am trying to stay out of the media this year and like really enjoy it, which is frankly hard, but I'm going to try. Um, but I know that you're going to be a voice out there interpreting Memorial Day and interpreting the drawdown in Afghanistan for all Americans. And I think that's a good thing. I'd rather have it you, you be in the chair than the average, you know, talking head on, on cable television. So, you know, you process all this. Um, if I wanted to teach my, you know, 22-year-old nephew about the meaning of Memorial Day or what he should know about Memorial Day, or my five-year-old son and your, your children. What do, what do you think people need to think about and know about Memorial Day? Um, I think I might repeat a story uh, about my dad. Um, my dad was a refugee from two wars. He passed away in 2012. Uh, he was a refugee from two wars. He grew up in Spain. Uh, his family fled when the fascists under uh, Franco came in. Uh, and um, then they went to France and then the Germans came, rolled into France a, a few years later and he fled. His father was Jewish. So, so they left, came to this country. Um, and I grew up, you know, he was a huge pacifist, right? And um, I grew up in a very liberal environment and during Vietnam, Everyone I knew was opposed to Vietnam and, you know, thought war was, uh, you know, whatever. Like, I, I, it was a very classic, like, sort of liberal take on, on war and on Vietnam. And so when I got my selective service card in the mail, um, I, you know, I thought the draft was over. I was like, what the hell is this? Like, the government wants my address in case they need to find me for their next Vietnam. Are you freaking kidding me? <laughs> like, and I went to my father and I, and I said... Um, you know, I'm not signing this. Like, I thought this was like the government. Are you kidding? And uh, I, you know, he was a pacifist. So I figured that he would agree with me. He said, no, you're definitely signing it. He said, there's thousands of American graves in France of young Americans who came overseas and died fighting fascism and saving the world. And um, you don't get to be part of this country uh, without owing anything. And you may owe this country your life. Hopefully not. 
And if, if the war you're called up for is an unjust war, an immoral war, then it's your duty to protest it and go to jail protesting it if, you, if need be. But you owe something to your country. And when you sign that piece of paper, it may, you're acknowledging that. And you're acknowledging you might even owe this country your life. Hopefully not. And Memorial Day, I mean, what he said, let me just say, when he said that, all of a sudden, it, 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 signing that document went from being this sort of like bureaucratic, unpleasant bureaucratic task to, oh, my God, I'm part of something greater. Like, I kind of, it made me proud, right? That I might be needed. I might be necessary. It made me proud, right? And Memorial Day is a day in memory of people that signed that card and did lose their life, you know? And, and no country, every country requires people that, every country, country requires people to be willing to put their life on the line to defend their beliefs and their land and their people, every single country in the world. And some people are unlucky and they die and others are lucky and they don't. Um, but acknowledging Memorial Day doesn't mean you're pro-war. It doesn't mean anything. It means that you understand the nobility of that decision to volunteer uh, or to die in service. And that's true for firemen and cops and construction workers and teachers. And, you know, it's, it, 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 there's a huge noble experiment going on in this country right now that involves an awful lot of people. And um, and we're all we're all necessary. Memorial Day is for people in the service who who have paid that price. You got me choked up with that one, man. <laughs> and it was it was well well said. And thank you. Um, so I, I wish that if uh, I don't know, maybe there is. I, we have a poet laureate in this country, right? I feel like if we if we had a writer laureate or whatever we would call it, I, I wish it would be you because I feel like we would benefit from hearing your reflections on all things happening in this country on a regular basis. So we, we're talking about uh, freedom and your and your book. We talked about Memorial Day. Summer's here. Right. People now, you know, what it's freedom, right? It's a lot more freedom than we used to have. Right. It may, it may not be full freedom, but it feels free. It maybe it's going to be the summer of freedom or celebration or love. Also, maybe like, you know, an army unit coming home to base after being deployed. So there's going to be some challenges. Right. But people are excited. People are happy. People are feeling much better than they have before. What are you looking forward to this summer? <laughs> Well, I, let's see. I have a four-year-old and a one-and-a-half-year-old. I've been working very hard. Um, I want to. Uh, uh, I just want to experience them at those ages for for a couple of months. You know, like uh, it took me a long time to be able to have a family. Um, it's the greatest piece of luck and the greatest blessing that I can imagine. And I don't want. I don't want the years to rush by while I'm so busy doing other things that I don't notice, you know? So I, you know, I think, uh, I think that's what I'm looking forward to. I also, I had a um, scary medical experience last summer and I, I actually almost died. So this summer I'm looking forward to a summer without all that drama. Uh, I had a, an, an undiagnosed aneurysm in my abdomen that ruptured and uh, I lost 90% of my blood in about an hour. And uh, yeah, I was, I mean, I was on the door doorstep. Basically, it took them an hour and a half to get me to the hospital. And I was, uh, I lost 90% of my blood, but I was still alive and I was still conscious actually. And, um, and I saw my, my dead father showed up and was starting to console me. And they put 10 units into my neck 
And that brought me back. And, but it was a miracle that I survived. And so this summer I'm like, I want a summer without the medical adventure that I had last summer. And I'm just going to appreciate the fact that we're all alive and we're healthy. And here we are. I, we're all celebrating that, man. I mean, that, that it's, you, you have, probably, you know, a full library of harrowing stories that haven't made the pages yet that, uh, that I, I am glad you're sharing with us and with the world. Um, I, I want to just thank you for all that you're doing because you're such a powerful and important voice. And I think you're also, you know, I feel like it's a time Sebastian when people aren't reading books and, and, you know, maybe some people went deep during the pandemic, but this is, the book that I want to see in people's backpacks. I want to see it on the beach. I want to see it on the, you know, on, on, on the, on the dashboards of cars. And I think if we can get this in the hands of, of people across this country, we're going to have a much better summer and a much better future. So it's a tremendous um, service that you've done for all of us. And I'm grateful for that. And uh, I'm, I hope you do get some time off. I do have to ask you one question that I didn't ask. I'm going to send you more whiskey, by the way. I haven't said, I don't know if I sent you the first one yet. And now we have new gear. Uh, so you're going to get some independent Americans gear. And nice. we, got, we got camping mugs. So if you ever go out on the trail oh, again, awesome. you can take some of these camping mugs with you, or at least take one of them. It's kind of indestructible. Um, but you, you talk a lot, a bit about food on, on your trip. So we didn't ask you last time, pancakes or waffles? If you had to pick one, Pancakes or waffles? Uh, I think I'd have to go with waffles. If they're good waffles, there's cheap waffles out there that you pop in a toaster. I'm not talking about those waffles. I'm talking about real waffles. And if there's a side of bacon and some butter and and, uh, maple syrup, um, you pretty much got me. (laughs) That pretty much seals the deal. When you guys came off the trail, you talked a lot about what you ate, which I remember, you know, being in combat, people think you talk about sex all the time or you talk about combat. I feel like I talked about food more than anything else. Yeah. And, and there's also a celebration of, of wherever the hell you end up when you come off that trail and you walk into these diners. Yeah. It's a real celebration of that part of America, too, that I think is, is really spectacular. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, those were some of my favorite moments. We'd stop in, t- in a town once in a while and grab some coffee and some pancakes or whatever. And those are always awesome, awesome moments. Well, I, if you have a couple minutes after we wrap, I want to do a couple quick fire questions for our Patreon members that are yep. most dedicated and supported. But um, I'm glad you're out there. Everybody needs to go check out Freedom. It's on bookshelves. It's on Amazon. You can you know download the audio, but it's the best Father's Day gift in America. And it's the best uh, Independence Day gift in America. So, uh, you know, Freedom ain't free. Uh, it's, uh, how much is it, Sebastian? I don't know. It's like 17, 18 bucks. So go get it, uh, and give it to a bunch of people and you'll be doing a tremendous public service and helping us bring more light to contrast the heat, the great and powerful Sebastian Younger, my friend. Thank you for all that you do. Thank you so much, Paul. Take care. All right. Stay vigilant. There's only one Sebastian Younger. And I'm so glad he made it through. He said he's looking forward to a summer without all that drama. I think that's what we can all look forward to. And after a year of putting in the work, it's time for a summer of celebration.
Yeah, it's time to celebrate. And I hope this show has helped you to this point. And I hope that we've been a place that's brought you light to get you through the darkness of the last year and toward these better, freer days. We always want to be a place that welcomes independents, Democrats, Republicans, and everyone in between. All those who are seeking and searching and exploring freedom. And even as we all celebrate, we're going to keep the hope spreading because hope is the oxygen of democracy. And we've all been spreading it for the last year. And now it's time to get out and enjoy it. So keep being a helper. Keep it spreading. We can all be like Sebastian Younger and our recent guests from Molly McHugh to Wes Chatham, all the way back to Stephen Colbert and all our guests over the last 100 plus episodes. We've gotten here together and it's time to enjoy it. All of us. And that includes me. So I'm going to take a few weeks off from cranking on this show. I need to recharge. And I want to hang with my family, do some fishing, lots of swimming, have some fun, and maybe hit Red Lobster back up again. But one of my mentors, the great Les Gelb, used to tell me, take vacation or you get stupid. So I'm going to take some vacation. And I'm going to do lots of breathing. And we'll be back in a few weeks with new episodes and we'll continue to adapt, improvise and overcome as the country continues to open up and we get more and more freedom. And we'll have more shows coming from Righteous Media. We've got some really exciting new projects in the works, exciting ones, and I'm going to need a little bit of time to focus on those too. And so for the next few weeks, we'll still have podcasts for you every Thursday. We'll replay some of the best episodes of the past. Maybe we'll do some best ofs for some of our best questions. And we'll keep bringing you good content to power your summer drives, if you're commuting back to work, or if you're walking a few hundred miles of railroad like Sebastian Younger. In this Memorial Day weekend, please join Iraq and Afghanistan Veterans of America and veterans groups across the country and go silent for Memorial Day. 3 p.m. local time, wherever you are. Take one minute with whoever you're with and just go silent for one minute for all those that gave their lives so we can enjoy ours. The hashtag is go silent and you can find more on Twitter or anywhere else if you check the hashtag go silent and spread the word. And in this next few weeks, please keep spreading the word to the folks who are holding out on getting the vaccine. Recognizing Memorial Day, getting out and celebrating and continuing to spread the good word about the vaccine. Easy ways we can all be freer and we can all be a helper. Always look for the helpers. There will always be helpers. You know, even just on the sidelines, because if you look for the helpers, you'll know that there's hope. My thanks to all the helpers that made all our episodes throughout the pandemic possible and the folks who made this episode possible, especially my friend Sebastian Younger. He's an American treasure. Go out and get freedom right now. It's a great gift for Father's Day. I also recommend the audiobook. If you're not into reading books, you're not alone. And I really recommend the audiobook. His voice is awesome, and you can listen to it on a walk or on a run or on a drive. And it's the perfect Father's Day gift. Freedom is fragile. And independent Americans, truly independent Americans, are going to be key to protecting that fragile freedom. And so is Sebastian, a man who will be celebrating for sure this summer. It's a celebration. 
That song, of course, is Cool in the Gang, Legends of Cool. And this week, we remember a different kind of cool because we lost a different American legend this week. One worth remembering, celebrating, and appreciating, especially as we all recognize our freedom, and especially as we recognize Memorial Day. Senator John Warner died this week. Senator John Warner was a Republican senator from Virginia, a World War II veteran, and a force on military affairs. He was the chairman of the Armed Services Committee. He was a Navy World War II vet, one of the last in the Senate, and he was once married to Elizabeth Taylor. But he was a brave and a good man, an independent and pragmatic man, a true leader. I was honored to work alongside of him on Capitol Hill for many years. He was a role model for veterans and for all Americans with a super fascinating life story and a uniquely American journey. And by the way, without him, there would be no post 9-11 GI Bill that sent over a million veterans and their families to college. Rest in peace, Senator Warner, and thank you for being a helper. And thank you to more helpers that have made this episode possible. Thanks to the Righteous Media team, creative Chris Rosenthal, brilliant Bill Schultz, precise Paula Hernandez. They make this show possible, and they need a break too. And if you like this episode and you like this show, over the next couple of weeks, throughout this summer, go to the Apple Podcast Store and give us five stars, and be sure to subscribe for free and share. If you're on the beach, or you're at Disney World, or you're at Red Lobster, share the word about this podcast. And be sure to visit us on social media and check us out at independentamericans.us. You can find out more information about Sebastian and about his book. You can also get Independent Americans merch. It's great for your summer cruising. It's great for the beach. And it's perfect for Father's Day. Go to independentamericans.us. You can also see video of this conversation with Sebastian. You can see our matching gunmetal gray shirts and over 100 episodes with leaders of all backgrounds. And as Memorial Day approaches, lots of military leaders, especially heroes like Flo Groberg, David Bellavia, General Mark Hurtling, Admiral Stravides, Aaron Mankin, and lots of other badasses inspiring Americans who have protected and preserved our freedom and who are role models for our children. America may be more divided than ever, but these conversations can bring us a little bit closer. And independent Americans will continue to add light, to contrast, the heat of those other political shows. And if you're among the 40% of Americans who are independent, this is your show. If you're a Republican or a Democrat and you're not a diehard partisan, this is your show. If you're a concerned American who cares about the future of your country and freedom, this is your show. All are welcome. And we invite you to be a part of the solution and spread the word. Just like our fearless Patreon members, Thank you to all of you who've powered us throughout the pandemic. If you're not a part of the Patreon club, you can join us for exclusive access and events in the future by becoming a member of the Independent Americans Patreon community. It's just five bucks and you get access to our events, to our guests, to merch, and to events like our great happy hour last week. We do them monthly and we're going to keep them going. We'll keep doing them on Zoom and maybe soon we'll do them in person. And if you're a Patreon, you will now hear extra content from guests like Sebastian. I asked him some very special questions. I was in a good mood because I was feeling free and ready to celebrate. So I asked him a rapid fire series of questions, including what's his favorite color? I asked him his favorite movie and his favorite band. You can check it out. If you're a Patreon member, go to find us on Patreon or wherever you got this show. It's in the notes. And as we kick off the summer formally, my massive thanks, of course, to my wife and ferociously amazing two boys. 
Flag football continues, and the LA Express suffered our first loss. We got thumped 40-14 to 14 by the Invaders, who were running flea flickers and reverses and all kinds of stuff. But we learned a lot, and we've got one more game to go before the summer hits. And T-ball continues, but that's wrapping up soon, and school will be wrapping up soon, too. And that means summer is really back. Vacations are coming. Summer camp is coming, swimming is coming, concerts are coming, the Knicks are even in the playoffs. And we're celebrating some summer in my family big time. Summer is back, America is back, and I told you, even Red Lobster is back. Red Lobster for lunch. Come wake up your taste for seafood in the middle of the day. Enjoy lunch at Red Lobster. We'll serve you right away. This isn't the old burgers and fries routine. Uh-uh. Red Lobster's serving scampi, flounder, salads, lots of lunches far from routine. Everything we do is for the seafood lover in you. Red Lobster for the seafood lover in you. Yep. Red Lobster's back, and those cheddar biscuits are even better than I remembered. And America this summer will be even better than we remembered. Our VC Day is coming. Our Freedom Day, our victory over the coronavirus day, is coming on Independence Day, July 4th, 2021. And Independence Day will be our official party. But for me and America and for you, the party starts now. So get out and enjoy it. And while you're out there, keep this movement growing week by week and stay vigilant because eternal vigilance is the price of freedom. And with hope in our hearts, it's the reason we have a free summer in America to celebrate. Pass the hope and know you're not alone in your vigilance. We are all vigilant and we have a lot of freedom to appreciate. And we're all in this together. From Sebastian Younger to the teams at Red Lobsters all around the country to Cool in the Gang to you all across this great and free country. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Thanks for listening. Stay frosty, but enjoy it and stay vigilant, America. Happy summer. Let's celebrate.